We are on Sunday nights in a series called Unswerving, where we are talking about the faith and hope and the stories of faith and hope in the characters of the lives of the men and women of God as the Bible has testified to their story. Children will believe nearly anything. As they get older, they learn that not everything everyone tells you is true or to be trusted. Okay? We have words like promises and oaths. When you're little, it's pinky promise. Uh, When you're older, it's legal contracts many pages deep, which are all very complicated or very simple ways of saying, I'm going to keep my word. But a person's word is only as good as the person making it. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The Bible word for promise is a word we don't use much anymore. Covenant. About the only time I see that word used is with my HOA. Or if you live in such a neighborhood where they have certain rules that everyone agrees to abide by. And uh, that's about the only place that you see it much anymore. But back in Bible times, a covenant was a very real, uh, very serious agreement and arrangement between two people. There are different kinds of covenants. But basically, it was an arrangement between two parties making a promise to each other. The most significant of the covenants within the Bible is, of course, not just a covenant between two people, but a covenant between God and a human being. That was a very unique kind of covenant because it was largely one-sided. And I think one of the most significant covenants, I know, one of the most significant covenants found within the Bible is the covenant made with a man by the name of Abraham didn't start out as Abraham, of course. His name first was Abram. That was part of the covenant. There was a change of name to remind him who he was in covenant with. That covenant changed more than his name. It changed his, his family, his legacy, where he lived, and our eternity. A covenant was the kind of promise that God made with Abram. God promised Abram that if he left his home and took his family to a place where God would show him, then God would use him and bless him in several specific and significant ways. So we're going to spend tonight's sermon and next Sunday night's sermon looking at the character of Abraham and his covenant with God. And hopefully we'll begin to understand a little more about why Abraham is called father of the faithful. The story is told in Genesis, a good portion of the book of Genesis, chapters 11 through 25. At the beginning of the story in Genesis, Abram is a 75-year-old man. 75 years old, and up to that point, the Bible says very little about anything he had achieved or done. Even afterward, he's not a prolific writer. We don't have any books that we know of that were written by him. He's not a brave warrior necessarily, although he's got a couple of significant battles. We don't necessarily note that he's a deep thinker or theologian. What made this guy so special? 
Why are we talking about him? Why do two very large worldwide religions, I'm sorry, three very large worldwide religions, all claim their ancestry back to this one man? The reason, in part, as we'll go through the story, is that Abraham fully trusted God. Now you and I, if I were asked for a show of hands, I won't, I did that this morning, how many of you trust God? Most of you would raise your hand. But my guess is that there have been times when that trust was a little thin, questioning, doubtful, disobedient. Abraham, at least as far as we can tell, never reached that point. And God called him to do things that very uncomfortable, significant to his life, had a deep impact on himself and those around him. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. Start there. Genesis chapter 12, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. The Lord had said to Abraham, I'm sorry, to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, the middle part of that sounds really good, the blessing. But the first part of that is tough. Going on a journey is one thing. But going on a journey without knowing where you're going is a different story entirely. Not just going on a journey, but really moving from one place to another. I can only imagine the conversation if I went home and told Christy that we were going on a journey. She would naturally ask, where were we going? What her reaction might be if I said, well, I don't know. But we'll know when we get there. And what if I said to her, by the way, start packing, because we're going there permanently. She might have a few things to say about that. Several years ago, I got a phone call here at the office. A youth minister uh, was asking specifically how to get a hold of Carpenter Place. And so I gave him the contact information, and he proceeded to tell me what they were doing. They were coming through Wichita. But that was part of their mystery mission trip. And their mystery mission trip was they took the kids and they signed them up and they, you know, gave them a packing list. But they didn't tell them where they were going. Because they didn't know where they were going. And as they got the kids, as I understand it, they circled up, they got the map out, they dropped a little coin or something on her, a marker. Wherever it fell, that's where they were going to go and do God's work. I was never brave enough as a youth minister to do that. We did a mystery trip most every summer, but uh, it caused a lot of consternation. And it was just for fun. People really want to know where you're going and why. Free spirits love stories like that. Type A's have a harder time. 
Abraham not only uh, went without knowing, he left everything familiar behind. Country, friends, family. And he was not told initially where he was going. He left secure, security completely in the dust and went all in towards God's promise. I love stories like that. Don't see them very much anymore. I mean, even, even those stepping out on faith make a plan, have, a, have a, a, a mission in mind, if you will, have a, have a way of going about things that they plan before they get there. But Abram didn't have all those things. Yeah, I'm not saying plans are bad or anything like that. I'm just saying when you begin to look at how obedient Abram was to this call, you begin to understand why he's called father of the faithful. In Acts chapter 7, verses 2 through 3, uh, Stephen here is making his great speech before he's martyred. And he says, The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. He's putting his faith fully and completely, not only in how God led them, but where he would show them to make it their home. Regardless of your personality, anytime you go anywhere unfamiliar, at some point you say, it's time to go home. You know, The food, you've had enough food, you're ready for some home cooking. You've, you've slept in that awful cot just one too many nights, and now it's time to go to your own bed. Abraham wasn't just going on a trip. He was relocating everything. Uncomfortable, strangers, unfamiliar Yep, get used to it. Abraham, despite not knowing the destination, trusted the driver. He trusted that God knew what he was doing and where he was going. It's kind of this, this way when I go fly somewhere. You know, you, you buy the ticket, you make plans to get to the airport at the appointed time. Try to get through security in a reasonable amount of time. You wait till they call your seating or your boarding number. And then you get on the plane. And everything that you've done at this point is all dependent on you. And you put your carry-on overhead and you kind of flop down in the seat. And just relax. Because now it's in someone else's hands. For good or for worse, it's in someone else's hands. It's a very simple concept, but that's how Abram lived his whole life. For good or for worse, it's in God's hands. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us this, verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to a place where he would later receive, he would later receive as in his inheritance, obeyed and went. He didn't question, he didn't argue, he obeyed, and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. 
By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. He was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. As Abram leaves what he knew and what was familiar, he walks into something totally unfamiliar, something foreign, something where he was a stranger. Now, can you imagine that that with every footstep, with, with every footstep, I'll demonstrate, with every footstep that Abram took, he was literally living and walking out the promise of God. Not only by, because, that, because God was going to give it to him, but because he was obedient enough to go, to take the first step. And this is, this is hard for me personally, because before I take the first step of obedience, I want to know where that obedience is going to lead. Sometimes, when I'm back in my previous job, when I had a student, a child, a teenager who was thinking about being baptized, my nature was to try to prepare them for everything this journey entailed so that they would know, so that I had prepared them. But the more mature and the more wise I get, the, the more I go, you know, I don't know what God has in store for you, but let me tell you, it's going to be great. And if you'll just trust him, if you'll just do like Abram and other pe- heroes of faith, And obey him and walk one step at a time, even though you do not know where that will lead. God will bless you so tremendously. Think back on your life now as a Christian. If you've been a Christian, let's say, for more than five years. And just to think how much God has matured you and grown you and taught you. So much through those times of faith, where with just a whisper, he says, trust me. Just walk with me and follow me to the place where I am going. But God, I want to know where you're going. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to ask you to trust me. And when you get to that point of faith, where you're about ready to do that, then along come your children in your life. And you try to teach them about the ways of God. And sometimes God calls your children to places that are foreign. Perhaps you saw this letter from from Shelby Cothran, who's going on a medical mission trip. She's currently in Tanzania. And she sent this letter, and I just thought it was so perfect for what we were talking about tonight. I won't read the whole thing, but she says, My group of ten nursing students, two instructors, one RN, one nurse practitioner, and one doctor have all made it safely to our temporary home in Chimalaya, Tanzia. These past five days, we've been busy working in the hospital, visiting with the Chimalaya church, and teaching a health lesson at the primary school. It has been a challenge to adjust to working with people who speak Tanzanian English. And taking care of patients who often speak no English and sometimes not even Swahili. 
However, I have been able to see just how universal God's language of love can be. Even when you can't tell people you care with your words, I've found wonderful peace in the fact that you can show love just through a smile or by sitting by someone who's hurting. This week I have been blessed to see new life, but I've also experienced death. I saw the death of a newborn whom the day before I had prayed for life as I tried to resuscitate. I've cared for a young boy whose mother sat alone at his bedside, helpless as malaria overtook him. I've often felt helpless in my knowledge or ability to provide care, but in those moments, I remember that I must pray God works through my hands and my actions. There are many hurting and lost people here, and I pray that we can show these people a glimpse of what God's love holds. Now, that's fantastic. I love reading stories like that. We have Annabelle Little, and I mean, lots of Northside students have gone and done short-term missions and and some long-term missions. And it's so inspiring to say, I know Shelby. I know Annabelle. It's neat to say you have a connection with them. It's neat to see the good that God is working in their lives because of their ability to trust him without full understanding of what may happen, without a, a clear outlined plan of how things are going to go. No, it's just that simple trust and willingness to say, here am I, Lord, send me. But for Brent and Renee, that letter has a whole deeper meaning. Because it's one thing to go out on faith yourself. But it's quite another thing entirely as a parent to send your children, who are now young men and young women, into the mission field. As Jonathan Hannigan cooked a dinner for us while he was back for it. I'm sorry, he didn't cook dinner. We had Chipotle, that authentic Argentine cuisine. But he, he shared dinner with us. And his mother came in. And I thought, now we all know what amazing work Jonathan does. And we all love his heart uh, for, for being the church and reaching the church and his unbelievable gift at hospitality. But it's his mother and his father who go to sleep at night and pray very intently for their son who's halfway around the world, who they don't see or talk to often enough. That's, that's generational faith. It was that faith that Abram also passed his children and to their children It's when we say when we are of Abram's seed, what we're talking about there is the faith, that trust and obedience that our father Abraham had. Secondly, Abraham absolutely believed God's promise. Genesis chapter 15, if you want to turn where this is found. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
Oh, that's a sermon right there. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky. And count the stars, if indeed you can. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. That verse 6 is so important that many centuries later, Bible writers would refer back to that moment where Abram would impress God, not by his works, not by who he was, but by his ability to trust in the impossible and for God to do the impossible. Romans chapter 4, 3, what does Scripture say? Abram, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Galatians 3, 6, so Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. James 2, 23, Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Abram and Sarah were old and childless, and yet God is not only telling them to go on a sightseeing journey, he's telling them to pack the pack and play. He's telling them that one day, not only the place they're going is going to be strange and has got Abram going to take hold of it with every single step, but that his children and their children will possess that land. How did Abraham react? He believed. Just as he had always done. Can you just imagine how they reacted at the thought? Abram and Sarah are going to both to trust God and act as though they believe it. Which means, and you have to follow me here because this requires some maturity in thinking. That not only did they have to trust that they were going to have a baby, but they had to act like it. They had to get to work. Faith is not just believing and trusting in God and twiddling your thumbs and waiting for him to work. Abram trusted God enough to leave, pack, go, and hike. And he and Sarah would begin to trust God to be enough to begin acting like they are on their honeymoon again. Without faith and works, the promise of any more descendants will be de- would, would be dead. We, we wouldn't be talking about Abram. James chapter 2, starting verse 22. You see that Abram's faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. 
It's not that the actions of themselves earned Abram's salvation or the promise. No, it was trusting enough to do what God had said was going to happen. To act like it. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God promised Abram descendants like the sand and the stars, as numerous promise kept. He promised him the possession of Canaan, promise kept. God promised to bless everyone through his offspring, promise kept in Jesus. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, in recording the genealogy, says this. The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. God needed faith to bring about a plan that would bring about his son, not not Isaac, but Jesus. Genesis chapter 18, God makes this promise again, this covenant In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Okay, some application, and these are really deep. Number one, you've got to trust God's promises, even when you don't understand. There are so many promises that God makes to his people today that we don't fully understand. And we have a hard time with that, and yet we look at people in this book, and we look on their story and go, oh, just have a little more faith, Israel. Oh, just have a little more faith in the prophets. Oh, just have a little more faith, Pharisees and Sadducees. Oh, just have a little more faith, apostles. But see, we have 2020 vision. That's not where it counts. Where God needs us to trust Him As important as Abraham's story is, in our life, he needs us to trust him, even when we don't understand. You trust him enough to let him work in your life? Do you trust him enough to do what he asks? Do you trust him enough not just to believe that he can, but to know that he will? Will you follow him to unfamiliar, uncomfortable places because he wants you there? That's the kind of faith, that's the kind of trust that Abram had and that we should have. We all have faith in limited quantities. You know, the doctor prescribes a medicine. You take that prescription, you take it to Walgreens or, or wherever your pharmacy is, and you get it filled. And you take those little pills, and you trust a lot of things in that moment. Number one, that the doctor knows what he's talking about. Number two, that the pharmacist or the pharmacist tech who filled that selected the right medicine and in the right quantities. And as you put it into your mouth and you swallow, you are trusting and obeying what the doctor and the pharmacist have told you to do. We know that's true on a very simple level. We've got to increase our faith exponentially. Abraham's faith trusted God on a whole other level. He didn't know the end result of his decision. He just knew he couldn't go back. You ever drive in fog sometimes? Um, I often think of this when I have to do it. And 
usually when I have to drive between our house and the Goddard Public Schools, if there's heavy fog, I'll take the road with less traffic. Because if it's thick enough, you can't see very far in front of you. And so if there's a car stalled in, in the road or there's a bunch of cars backed up, and there's a good chance of an accident. So that's kind of like what faith is. You, something, you know something lies ahead. You just are limited by vision. You can't see it. And so that's when you have to have faith. And that's what Abram had. Even though he couldn't see it, he believed it. With God, courageous, obedient, trusting, childlike faith is the catalyst for amazing things. Things that don't make sense. How's a little church of 300 people going to produce a television program that reaches... Potentially over 2 million people and even more on the internet. How's that going to happen? Because you got a group of elders who say, we don't know where this is going to lead, but we're willing to have faith. It's a group of elders around that same church sitting around saying, you know, we need to move. How big of a building should we build? Man, I don't know. That's faith. That kind of faith in those men got us here. And it's faith in the men who lead us today that it get us where we'll be tomorrow. So we don't only have to have faith ourselves. We have to have leaders who have great faith and great vision. And finally, we have to obey God's commands even when you're unsure. Even when we don't fully know the end result. Jesus said, come follow me. This is interesting. Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus never said, invite me into your heart. Jesus said, come follow me. That's a totally different invitation. Because when you follow somebody, you're just following them. You don't know where they're going to take you. And that was true with the apostles. It's certainly true with us. The second invitation that puts Jesus into the familiar, the invite me into your heart. But what he invited us to do is much riskier. Where he leads me, will you follow? That's the question I put to you tonight. I want to invite you to put your hope in him because he is faithful. I want to invite you to follow him even though you may not always know where you're going. Abram trusted, believed, and acted like it. God delivered on every single promise that he made for a purpose that everyone might have the opportunity at eternity. Tonight, if you need to come, I want to invite you to come. And if you are not coming forward, I'll invite you to come back next week as we finish our series of The Godly Father. If you have a need, please come. I'll meet you down front as we stand and sing.